Hello and welcome to Garagara of this town, 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always, I don't know, the color red and with me, other colors of the spectrum. I probably Dude. would be like, not red, green. Damn it, I was going to take red and just say you were Vendetta, so I guess now that means I have to be, um... Vendetta Puce. Sybil Sure. Uh, I'm as always Elaine. We don't have an Adam with us. Every time. This is like fucking clockwork. Uh, whenever Adam is missing, we talk about a good record. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun one. This is a really good record. Uh, I was tempted to just, I don't know, just be like, no, we're talking about the new Mountain Ghost record today, because fuck the shit podcast that we're doing. The new Mountain Ghost record is really good. But no, we actually have a good record to talk about, so we're not doing that. The new Mountain Ghost record is really good, though. It's incredibly good. <laughs> All right, but Ellie, let's be real here. Is there a single possible thing the Mountain Goats could put out that you would not find a minimum of good? I mean, a minimum of good is okay. I wasn't super into getting into knives. Okay. Luckily, that was also the year where they re- re- released um, Song for Pierre Chauvin, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I may be a bit of a fangirl. Sorry. I'm just saying, this is like me being asked, what's the weakest garbage album? And being like, oh, I love all my children. Fair, 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 fair. Anyhow, we're talking about Vendetta Red. Who are Vendetta Red? No one knows. They they made a record. They're the only they made one record that charted, and we really enjoyed it. And I'm glad we make this podcast and discover shit like this. But also, they weren't really big at any point. This is the only record on a spreadsheet. Uh, so this is an aftermath episode, which means I had to write a lot. Do you have any prior experience with the Vendetta Red? I do not. Me neither. In doing a little of my own research, it seems like this band is one of those didn't succeed the way the label thought kind of HBO maxed out of existence types. (laughs) Indeed, it's really difficult to find a lot of the records of this band, including their follow-up record to this, which only thanks to uh, our friendly pirate blogs we could find on the internet. Otherwise, it's been scrubbed clean from most uh, streaming services. Gotta love capitalism. But it's not scrubbed clean of our hearts. Uh, it's good, yeah. <laughs> we, w- we may just talk about the other records from this brand uh, as bonus episodes at this some point, just because they're, ge- they're, they're actually good. <laughs> they're good music. It's good records, Brent. At the very least, we have to do a bonus episode on their next concept album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's called the, the Sisters of Red Death, which is, like, already, like, a fucking amazing name. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that's some Warhammer shit right there. Yeah, that's the army that I fielded before I got too expensive to pick up the figures. 
so, um, I don't know if we have any more random initial banter here. Do you have more random initial banter here, Seba? I, I mean, I could just apologize for the fact that I know my audio is going to be a little wonky since I'm in a new place that doesn't have any baffling foam yet. Well, if it's gonna be fine, our podcast sounds like shit anyway. <laughs> I'm editing it, and I'm putting no effort into editing this, <laughs> so you know, it's probably gonna be fine. That's depression. Yeah, among many other things. Anyhow, do we want to talk about the history of Vendetterad? Meaning, Sybil, do you want to read what by, like, 300 pages about Vendetterad that I wrote? Absolutely. Vendetta Red is formed on, of course, the west coast of the U.S. in 1998 in Seattle this time. The band is formed with Eric Chapman, Joseph Childress, Justin Cronk... Okay, are you are you making up names? <laughs> I'm not making up names. Justin Cronk? Justin Cronk. Zach Davidson and Adam Garcia and Mike Vermillion and Knuckles featured... You... <laughs> okay, that one you got me with. Ah, that's my that's my whole goal in this podcast. <laughs> there were so many names, I just started reading them to get through it, and that's when you got <laughs> Knuckles and Dante on me. You gotta have Dante from the Devil May Cry series. Ah, I think Atlas was actually selling official stickers of that at one point. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yes. Uh, to quote the band, living together in a house, doing a lot of drugs, jamming in the basement. We weren't old enough to buy alcohol, so we were just doing a lot of acid and PCP. Is that, like, normal in America? Is it like you can't drink at 18, but you can, like, go to war and shit? Well, here is the thing. It turns out a drug dealer basically just doesn't want you to be 14 and visibly look tiny if you buy from them. Because if you have money, they don't care. I, I guess then Adam can't can't buy things from a drug dealer. Yeah, Adam would somehow have to find the guy outside of the drug dealer's house to go, Hey man, can you go in and get this for me? Like, they don't check ID, kid. Yeah, I know, but look at me. <laughs> uh, we had to put in an Adam is short joke, even though he's not here. Hi, Adam. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you, Adam. So their first release, as far as we can tell, is a self-produced EP, Six Kisses, a blatant reminder of why we are alive, followed by their debut LP, Blackout Analysis. And at this point, all of their album names sound like they could be special attacks in anime. Naruto has definitely used Six Kisses, a blatant reminder of alive jutsu, and it turns out it destroyed some village somewhere. Shippuden was wild. So the record is released through indie label Red Button Records, who have only ever released one single record aside from that, the 1999 8x8 by Brando, the 23rd band ever to be named Brando, according to Discogs Records. 
Both Six Kisses and Blackout Analysis contain some songs that would later be re-recorded for future releases. Uh, one of them is the opening track to this album. And are fundamentally impossible to find in the current internet. Like a lot of these early band things from these pop-punk has-beens, uh, a lot of things have been preserved on YouTube, but no official streaming outlets has any of them in a full form. Although pirate sites might have them because, as we have learned this week, Piracy is the only way to save the things you love. While touring for Blackout Analysis, the band ends up signed with Epic Records and records with Jerry Finn. It was the 2000s, and if you so much as hung around a punk concert at the time, there was a good concept you could wake up the morning after with a headache and a Jerry Finn-produced record. So the results of that contract are an EP and LP that would rocket them to the mids of American alternative charts. With Cut Your Noose and Between the Never and Now being solid successes that let them tour with bands like ACTC, Dashboard Confessional, and MXPX, it sounds like nobody knew how to market this group in the slightest. There is a nice uh, quote that you can read about them touring with ACDC, which is um, good shit. Singer Zach Davidson recalls uh, their first night opening for ACDC with, It was scary how blatantly homophobic a lot of that crowd is. ACDC's music, whether you like it or not, is not socially conscious. You want to drink, fuck, and smoke weed when you listen to ACDC, and eat steak. Fucking American dream. You know, I can handle anything. You can see a lot on tour, but I didn't really like it when, before you play a fucking note, the minute you go on stage, people just look at you and start yelling, faggot. That, of course, made me want to go down there and start kissing boys. So he did. Yes, hot guy shit. I, I leave it to you to determine whether or not you want to bleep the slur in that. I'm fine. You can say it. We can say it. That's true. You, listener, cannot say it. We can say it. Half of our listeners are some <laughs> form of queers. Fair enough. Half of our listeners are ass. <laughs> uh, there is not really much info about the recording of the album, as a lot of the publicity, etc. was never archived on the internet, and Wikipedia has not cached many sources for this band. That said, no, Wikipedia has cached, cached no sources that they use in the article, which is baffling, because I think that's one of the rules of Wikipedia, that if you use an article, you have to cache it and leave it there for preservation, but no one has done that. What the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, just researcher fucking anger here. Like, do fucking... You're, if you're... If you're you're building an article, you're building something that, by definition, brings no fucking monetary gain to you, or any kind of gain, and you're building it specifically for the future, specifically for other people, why wouldn't you cache your sources? Why wouldn't you preserve them? Ah! To be fair, I am also looking at the edit history on this article, and it looks like this just goes years at a time with nothing. Uh, people have removed links to deleted pages in multiple waves. And at one point, the last time anyone added any references was 2020 using a service that no longer seems to exist. So, people tried. The Internet Archive bot keeps going through and finding a bunch of dead links. Oh, we can talk about the record. Yes, they, they made... They made this is their, whole, their, their, their history is pretty boring. They... They made a record, then they toured, then they made another record, then they toured. Yep. 
let's talk about the record. It's good. I really enjoyed this. I, it's not perfect, but it's one of the most interesting things we've covered on this podcast. It is not pop punk. Like, nothing in this record is pop punk. There are post-hardcore and sort of, like, emo-ish changes on a lot of it. Like, I I think, like, the, the, the dude on this record was into, like, probably way more into, like, Radiohead and that the drive-in than any, like, contemporary, like, punk band. Those feel more like the influences than, you know, Blink or whatever. I would say this feels like an alternate universe AFI in a lot of ways. It's not quite as goth, but it's got the same range, pretty solid production, and occasionally it just swings hard lyrically in a way that I don't see coming. Mm-hmm. It's it's alt rock. It's alt rock to and through. It has like post-hardcore influences, mm-hmm. but it's fundamentally like alternative rock. It's again. They definitely mention Radiohead as one of their influences. Listen to some of the song. Like Mars Volta was yet to be a thing, but they definitely listened to like some of at the drive-in. Which, by the way, I was listening to Relationship of Command um today, and God, that album is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not even the biggest Mars Volta fan, but like that specific at the drive-in album is like so fucking good. Um, sorry, just. Every, anyone who's listened to that album knows that. Like, I don't need to tell you to listen to Relationship of Command, but I love that is still, like, a fantastic album. Anyhow. So let's discuss There Only Is. the riff to Neverment, because this album is also sort of a meme. It's not actually the riff to Neverment, but every time I listen to it, every time this album opens, my brain goes... And Sybil has no idea what I'm talking about, because she's not familiar with the memetic nature of the Neverment riff. No, I don't. You're you're saying Nevermind, and I'm thinking, uh, Nirvana? Neverment. Neverment. Oh, got it. I have no idea what that is. It's the American football song. You can Google Never Meant Meme. Okay, sure. It, it's a meme. It's an emo meme. Gotcha. I keep forgetting American football is a band. So every time you say that, I'm thinking, that's not what the NFL theme sounds like. <laughs> okay. No, okay. American football is the band. Or the band with the house that, that's on the cover of the... And with the, the, the guitar that goes... And it's a meme. It's also really good. Like, it's also foundational emo records. It's also, like, one of the best records in emo ever. But it's also, like, a meme. Gotcha, gotcha. See, you're saying that, and my brain just instantly starts thinking, but Round Ball Rock is the better sports song. (laughs) Sure. I don't... I now don't know what you're talking about. John Tesh's Round Ball Rock has been used as the theme for a lot of NBA broadcasts for ages. You've probably heard it. Probably, probably. I don't read. I don't, I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reveal a secret that I'm sure no one would expect from me. 
I don't watch sports at all. <laughs> okay. I have literally never watched a sport. I watch wrestling, but that's theater, that's not sport. Um, oh, it's definitely theatrical now. By Vince. <laughs> I mean, he has to live in hell now. He's lost uh, probably all of his effective power suddenly, and he has nothing to do with the life he devoted to it. And he literally, yeah, he literally lived all of his life for his company, and now is fucking gone. Yeah, it's great. It turns out queers can be spiteful if you destroy a thing they love. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. if either of us would say we love WWE, but yeah, I suppose. I, I love wrestling. Wrestling is great, and Vince effectively, like, fucking destroyed a bunch of it just by creating a monopoly. Don't worry. Triple H is going to destroy it on the continent now, because I hope you didn't like NXT UK. Um, but no, the first track is There Only Is, and uh, it's great. Honestly, one of my favorite tracks of the record. It immediately opens with something completely different from what we've heard so far on this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's like a neem like that riff at the beginning. I joke it being the never meant riff, but it's sort of like Red House Painters meets Captain Jazz in a way, with a bit of like Counting Crows. It's like this weird jungly '90s riff with a lot of emo influences that go on it. There's like a lot of shouting. Um, and it gets harder, and it's good. It's not an, it's, it's not even an emo song. It's like this really nice sort of like atmospheric, jungly sound with like some good shouted vocals, like really good vocals. The dude really has personality. The dude really has a lot of nuance in the voice. And at the end, there's some screamer, and it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't really fit with the, with the, the whole, like, sort of alternative rock kind of almost low. They remind me a bit, like, people, gonna go on a tangent here, mm -hmm. people love radio, Radiohead, and I'm sure these dudes love Radiohead, because it was the early 2000s, everyone fucking loved Radiohead. I always, like, never really liked, uh, not never really liked, I never really got the hype with Radiohead, because... To me, they just took a lot of sounds that were already, like, super explored, like, by shoegaze bands and by a lot of 90s alternatives and 80s, like, new wave, and just sort of made them palatable. Like, the Radiohead didn't really invent anything. It's just, like, that the people who loved Radiohead probably never heard a bunch of the things they took inspiration for. So, you know, when I hear this, yeah, they took inspiration from Radiohead, but I also, like, hear low in this, like those 90s low records. Um, if, uh, that said, uh, this is good. This is a really good track. It's super vibey. There's a lot of repetition. It's like very moody. I think it could use, and this is the, f the only time I would say it on this podcast ever, a lot of these tracks could use to be longer. They could use like to build up a bit more atmosphere because every track is like solidly in three minutes, three, four minutes. But this is the kind of music that could use, like, going a bit longer, going a bit more, you know, atmospheric and shit. But no, it's great. When it shouts, like, the pendulum its ways, and it's like it really shouts its fucking soul out, there's some great vocals. The guitar sounds amazing throughout the record. Like, that is probably Jerry Finn magic, but God, the production on the guitar is, like, just fantastic. The song is great. I don't like the ending. The ending is when the screamer kicks in, it's like, um... I do. I, I have nothing against Screamo, I just think it doesn't fit the specific song, because it's 
all built around this very jungly, almost atmospheric riff. And when it suddenly goes hard, it feels like it sort of breaks the concept of the song. Uh, no, this is... I don't love many songs in this record. I think this record is incredibly interesting, and the only fault is that I think it doesn't really have a lot of bangers. There's not a lot of songs that I'm like, yeah, I love this. This is one of the songs that I love from this record. There are two songs that I love from this record, and one of them is this one. This one is a fantastic opener. It immediately tells you you're listening to something different. You're not listening to fucking another Blink ripoff. You're not listening to another, like, you know, brand new or Taking Back Sunday ripoff. You're listening to something that's actually, like, way smarter than that. And way, you know, more more widely influenced than that. And that's cool. I'm mm. gonna stop coming all over this song and let you talk now. <laughs> No, no, I just didn't want to stop you while you were in the middle of a good streak. So I'm glad you also had issues with the screaming because I don't limit it to just this track. I think overall the vocalist is incredibly weak when he starts trying to do the throat-tearing screams. It's not something that really fits with the lyrics on this record. And it makes it feel like a budget AFI, whereas normally it's like, oh, you've got a very coherent sound. Everything plays around. But then it just goes into full butt rock like this! It, I have to dock basically a whole point every time he starts doing that because it just doesn't work when you've got a somewhat at-the-drive-in radio-heady AFI lyrics like Reminiscent screams like womb dreams from ridding yourself of your own existence. Adolescent naivete spawned my optimism whose head you wore on your coat of arms. Yeah, no, there's... It's incredibly dense in a way that none of the metaphor ever feels like, oh yeah, I'm getting visions of this whole world, but none of it's also ever contradictory and confusing. And so there's definitely, I don't know how old they were at the time. There's definitely a lot of, a bit of like edge here. Like we're trying to be edgy or sort of young and trying to be edgy, but it's never, it's never overwhelming. I think it's well written. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't even think the problem is the lyric. I think that there are some songs where the screamo doesn't fit the, like the structure of the song. There are some songs where it works for me. There's some where it doesn't detract, but I don't think it ever added for me. That, that, that is that is a good point. I, I could definitely see that. But that takes us into Stay Home. Another day in silence suffered Such a bitter pill With sons and daughters, daddy Hates too much to care Stay home Stay This, yeah, we go from a song that's very, very unique to something that's a bit more uh, canonical for the time. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is maybe not one of my favorite. Like it, it goes from one of my favorite songs to a song that's sort of flatter, and it does does sound more like you know Taking Back Sunday and stuff. Uh, but again, amazing guitars. Gonna give something to the song. The guitar is amazing. Like, it sounds great, 
Um, the Choruses, I think if I have to give like a problem to this record, it's like the Choruses are sort of like bland and a lot of songs could use, especially when they go like, like their own yet was perfect because it wasn't a, a hook based song, or at least the hook was that that riff there, which is great, I love that. Um, Stay Home it feels like a more standard song, it feels more like a song that, I don't know if they wanted to play on the radio, but it was definitely a song that's more conventional. It could have used a better chorus than just the dudes shouting Stay Home over and over again. I don't think this is a bad song, but this is definitely like one of my bottom tier. Um, some of the songs could definitely use a better chorus. Not all of them. They, they do a lot of fun things. Um, I don't know, this is alright, I just don't, you know. So, I, I've mentioned before, as we do this, I tend to keep the tracks open on Genius, just so I can spot-check my own ears and have the correct lyrics by. Uh, every track on this album so far has linked to one of their earlier APs. So I'm very curious what the first one that is original to this album will be, and how much that will change. I actually really like this one. It's It reminds me of some of the punkier elements of early Placebo. In fact, the chorus reminds me of their Come Home, but... Yeah, the, the, not only the chorus, when they, when they go really quiet, that's, uh, I could see that, I could see the connection. When they like, there's a bit where they do the verse, but they do it like super quiet. That, yes. that bit is cool. That bit is cool. Yeah, but this is a track that is about uh, domestic violence against children, uh, some ca- somewhat coached in religious belief. So yeah, turns out they did a solid little track about that that has just the right amount of spite from living through that sort of thing, and thumbs up. Definitely, when he screams, he channels the primal urge of butt rock. <laughs> there, is, there is some butt here. There is some butt, but it's uh, 90s butt. This is almost, gr- you know, they're from Seattle. It's, grunge it's almost grungy butt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, butt-wearing plaid. How do you pronounce <laughs> that? Plaid? Plaid. Plaid. It's butt-wearing plaid. Yep. Let's go to the musical shitpost. Summer is a musical shit <laughs> That's fair. I I think this is a real good one. This is where the record picks up for me. This is still from an earlier EP, so... But the bass well, line it's is... A, it's a song that has, like, this... It builds up, and it's really dark, and it's really dark. And then the chorus is just like, Yeah, Summer! Summer is great! I'm in love! You're far Summer. away, this is sad, but it's like this very big tonal shift on the chorus, which is just funny. I I like this song, but it's also like, it feels like sort of a joke. There's a definite element to this album where I would have liked to see them get more videos, because I can't tell how serious they are at times. It does verge on parody. 
they do seem i i feel they're more so i feel they're trying again with this song they probably have some kind of sense of humor but they do feel like more less self-conscious and more serious than like an alkaline trio for example to the point where later on on the record there's a lyric that's like very cheesy and very alkaline trio and i think it doesn't fit with them because i feel they meant it uh seriously <laughs> not not as a you know not tongue-in-cheek but not as a like the self-aware gossiness of someone like alkaline trio uh, they do uh, yeah they do feel like they take themselves a bit more seriously than you know maybe i, I maybe they're like in bit like if on one on, on one hand on one side you have the full self-seriousness of like afi which feel like they 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 really think they are like we're making art yes on the other hand you have alkaline trio who's clearly just like you know having fun with it they probably like more in the middle between those two you know what I can I think that's a good scale to put them on especially when the lyrics are written in a way that's going for something real into it the baseline real solid on this song all into the lyrics but as you mentioned then the chorus comes up and it's like we just did a hard left turn into the wall <laughs> because, because it's summer, summer where, where you are summer. I'm in love. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, if it's a joke, if it's a dead ass joke, I think it's really funny. <laughs> it actually made me yeah. laugh. <laughs> but it's... There's no way to tell, because they only got one and a half videos. One of them is just a tour video. And the other feels like a lot of flash-animated music videos from the era. There's a Pet Shop Boys video that has the same energy as their one singles video. Anyhow, seconds away. Watch out. Seconds away, this is the second song. This is a ballad, first of all. This is a miracle. This is a Christmas miracle, and it's not even like nearly Christmas. This is like end of August miracle. This is a ballad, and this is the second song I really love from this record. So, uh, in looking at what were the track names on a lot of the other albums, I definitely see that, you know, this is a band who, in their younger days, had some very reminiscent uh, tastes to my own. Because we're talking about running from God, you want to be near him and join his Crimson Jihad. And then I look down at the EP this comes from and it's like, oh, there's tracks named Mwadib. Okay, so you also read Doom. <laughs> Fair enough, I haven't. The only experience I have with Doom is the David Lynch movie. And honestly, I'm sort of happy to keep it that way. I actually like that movie. And I'm like, I don't want to know any more about this. I'm fine with what I've seen in that movie. I think I'm, I'm sticking to that. I mean, the Lynch Dune is a wonderful experience. It's just a terrible adaptation. I don't care. Okay. 
I'm just telling you, maybe don't maybe don't judge the original work based off of the. I'm uh, not gonna judge it. I enjoyed your the David Lynch Dune. I'm just like, and I'm just like, if someone asked me, I watched the original. I watched the David Lynch Dune. Someone asked me, do you want to learn more about this universe? Do you want to learn what's actually going on? And my answer is no. I'm completely happy with the experience there is David Lynch Dune. I like how you make it sound like that you're watching the movie and Starship Trooper style pop-ups going, do you want to learn more? <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, Obsidian Games, that you could can over on words to, to know more, and I don't want to. Oh, God. Yeah, no, never touch the gold-named NPCs in Obsidian Games. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a Counting Crow song, basically. Oh, brutal. I'm saying it, I'm saying it in a positive way. I wrote that this felt like a low-key AFI, but woof, punch me right in the heart. What? Why? I'm not huge on the Counting Crows, that's all. I, I like the Counting Crows. Anyhow, the, I'm talking specifically about the melody, the little falsetto that they do. I think the song is like has like an ex- ex- excellent vocal melody throughout. It's like, it's a really good ballad. Like, the intro, like... So there's three parts to the song, to the structure. There's a first half of the verse, second half of the verse, and the chorus. There's, I think there's a bridge, I don't remember. But like those are the main parts that make up the song. The first part of the verse is sort of like the kind of the calling bullshit. Like it has this very melodic guitar and this very melodic singing. But they immediately then like go darker on the song. Like there's like, uh, where is the... What is the word? Like, running like insects from God, and, like, they say this line, which is, in itself, like, pretty fucking powerful. Watch how the word pushes forward, running like insects from God. And it's like, the, the, the tone immediately goes, like, darker and darker and darker. And then there's this, like, very Counting Crows chorus that I think is really good. And they nail this. The nail writing a ballad that is not particularly, like, this is not... Um, Jimmy Edward, who played a lot with sounds, played a lot with layers, and made a ballad that was very sonically interesting. This is a very standard ballad. This is a very, like, 90s rock ballad. And it's just really good. Like, the melody is really good. Again, the guitar sounds really good. Um, they just play a lot with the structure. There's a, again, there's a nice dark tone. It's not this monotone. And the lyrics, the lyrics are great. Watch how the world pushes forward, running like insects from God. That's like some mountain of shit right there. Oh, the the lyrics are one of the strongest parts of this track by far. I, again, this is where I think they're leaning in, and it. that's why I made the low-key AFI comparison. It's getting me with the writing on this one, and I don't say that much. I don't think... I don't think any of the record really got me with the writing. I think I'm, what I really appreciate, I, I don't think it's bad. I think a lot of it is actually quite good. I just think it's a bit too abstract for me to really love it. Like, they are very abstract. And a lot of the songs are sort of like, eh, I'm not sure what they're gone about. There's a lot of good imagery. There's a lot of really good imagery, but it's not... I don't think it's super consistent writing-wise for me. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciate, like, how much they experiment with genre and, like, just the, they, they're good at writing songs. They're good at writing emo songs with um, a lot of diverse influences that don't sound like anything at the time. Or at least don't sound like anything in their scene at the time. Like, you know, they toured with MXPX and they toured with ACDC and they toured with Dashboard Confessional. And they don't sound like any of those bands. Hey. 
Ellie, do you know what time it is? It's time for the main event. It's Shatterday. Oh, that's a terrible name. That's a terrible track name. Uh, this is the single. This, is this the, how many singles? I haven't actually read like because the Wikipedia is painfully like kind of helpful in this record. But this is the only for... released single that I can confirm. Fair enough. Uh, this is a good single. The it's a, one of the most. For how this record is not really a radio-friendly record. Uh, this is probably one of the most radio-friendly songs on the record. It has like a banger chorus, although it's still very 90s. None of this really sounds like a lot of what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's a really fun song. Um, it's just a, it's just sort of a fun song. Has the it's very sing the chorus is very sing-alongy. That's good. That was good. And again, we're still not at a first original track on this album. This also came off of White Knuckled Substance. And again, uh, the, um, the jangly guitar on it. Again, it's very good. Yeah. This is catchy. It's, this is catchy. This one has one of the worst lines on the record, which is, Our days are numbered 666. Which is like, that's an alkaline trio line. <laughs> that's an alkaline trio kind of lyrics. It doesn't really belong on this record. And it's spoken by a guy who is flying backwards into a coliseum at this point, dressed as an usher. So it's very hard to tell how serious you're supposed to take it. Yeah, the, the video is, is good. The video is like cardboard cutout flash animation shit. I like it. I actually like it. It reminds me of the... Um, I don't remember the name of the song, but that one, the, the Deer Hunter video. Yes. I don't remember. The, is it the, yeah, it's The Pimp and the Priest, which is one of the few videos that their second record got. But reminds me of this video. Uh, you can sort of see what um, you were saying before, while we were watching the video. You can sort of see why they did it, because they, what they do is like, it's more unconventional than what... Uh, my Chemical Romance will do later with the Black Parade, but it's not that different, especially their second record, um, the Sisters of, uh, what was it? The uh, Sister of Red Death? Like, that's more in line with what My Chemical Romance was doing at the time. And not to harp on the dude's look, he looks completely alright, but it's like, he's not as hot as, like, Jung Gerard Way was to, like, be able to pull this shit into mainstream. And I'm sorry, I'm, again, it's not ugly, it's not a thing, but, like, you, you can see why people gravitated to Gerard Way if you watch, like, the video for Helen or whatever. And, like, this dude is not that. <laughs> I, I really think this is the catchiest track on the album. I see why they <laughs> went with this as a single. It's still dense, lyrically digging into itself. But this is the time where the, the screaming, he gets a little loud on the chorus, but it's not full-on throat rippers. That fits his voice better, and I think that's why it works for me. Mm -hmm. 
And like, that, that chorus is just like fun. Like yeah. it's the only time in this song that I can say the chorus is fun. It's like da 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 It's like again, very mainstream rock. As we discuss this, it's very I'm really starting to come around to your idea that maybe this is a little alkaline trio pushing it over the edge. Not as self-serious as it seems in places, because he's got a smirk on his face through some of that video. Easily my top three on the record, just for the catchiness factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like this song. This song is actually fun. Again, mm-hmm. this is a good record. I I think especially as we get to the back half, where there's less general stuff that we're going to have to discuss, we're going to get a lot in that dimension of... Yeah, I like this. I don't have much to say about it, but I like The last quarter of the record loses me a little, but we'll get there. I think the last quarter of the record has weaker songs, but not to a degree where I have anything significant to criticize, aside from, yeah, this is okay. It's a bit weaker than the rest of the record, but it's okay. So, you know. It goes from being a 3.5 to a 3 for me around there. I think overall the record is a 3.5. I think it's flirting with a 4, but it's a bit too inconsistent for me to be a 4. Agreed. But it's a it's a, it's a a 3.5 that's a 4 in spirit to me. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, I get it. I get it what you were trying to do, Mr. Vendetta Red. And uh, in my heart, this is a 4. But on my radio music, this is a 3.5. Are we going to the next song? Let's talk about your problematic fave, Accident Sex. That ends with like uh, daddy spit or whatever. No, no, that's, that's the next one, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's got you like a gold. Um, uh, um, what, got what, what, an interesting what? opening on this with the second chord just held behind the bass line. Mm-hmm. This is the one that actually sort of sounds like Radiohead. Um, yes. Which, again, the sounds like Radiohead, which sounded sort of like low in parts, so this also sounds like low. Uh, I don't... Uh, this is one of the songs that I'm like, I don't love this. I do love that they're trying different things. This specific song, I don't love it. It's fine. This also ends up in my top three because it's a very chill track in, yeah, a Radioheadish way. Kind of works for me. It's almost ambient. See, the problem with that is the problem that I mentioned before, where it's too short to properly set up a mood to me. I, it, it's a three-minute song. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can really have that kind of chill, atmospheric track and then just make it three minutes. It's uh, weird. It feels incomplete. It feels like there should be more. There should be like more layers, more work on it. Uh, it's almost trying to make like a late era radio, like a chiller, more ambientish, like late era Radiohead song into a radio song, into like a three minute radio song. And I don't think the result is bad. I just think it doesn't fully work for me. It's one of those songs that I'm like, all right. There's no success. 
Yeah, uh, it's one of the songs that are like, I listen to it, I've listened to this record multiple times, and I'm like, I never skipped this or anything, but it's like, I don't find it super remarkable. It feels like sort of, oh, they tried to do this thing, but it's not, oh, they, they were great at this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's Accident Sex. Don't you have anything more to say about this? No, that's that's it. it lyrically, it doesn't really go anywhere interesting it's got a vibe i think it's again a little ambient tone piece and it stands out from the rest of the album because that because nothing really follows up on this let's go to the actual problematic fave um cut you like a cold I like the guitars on this one, which I will say on most of the track. This sounds like Soundgarden. This is like uh, Batrock Soundgarden. I described it as gutter bass, so that works too. Ah, <laughs> uh, this song sort of sort of shit. I think it's something sort of like nothing. It's sort of badly structured. But I really like the guitar on it, therefore I really sort of like the song, despite me recognizing this is not one of the most well-constructed songs on the record, it sort of goes nowhere, but I really enjoy that butt guitar on the song, it's really fun. <laughs> this is some of the most butt playing. Uh, it is. There's a kind of electric organ style behind some of this track yeah the, is, we're not mentioning everything but there's a lot of weird production on this like you know they they, they 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 have a lot of fun with their instruments on this record this is where the tracks get a lot shorter for a bit this one doesn't even make three minutes but also uh unless you are into problematic daddy stuff not really a lot here lyrically do you do you want to do a dramatic reading of the end of the song, Sebel? I think I think you would uh, you would do quite well at it. Or or do we keep that for the Patreon? Okay, okay. <laughs> da, da, da. I, I, I actually because it screamed. I didn't. I, I only figured out this lyrics when I read the rec, the, 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 the read the genius, and it was like, oh, oh, oh no. Yep. Yeah, no, this is absolutely some, you had some weird rough sex stuff at the end, because does it make you sick? The smell of daddy's sweat, the taste of daddy's spit, crawl blood in, blood out. Uh, and next up, suicide parties. song of the record i don't like this i don't like it but 
also, I don't hate it. There's a couple of tracks later that get me a little more worked up. I don't think I hate anything on this record, but mm, uh, the the intro sounds like sort of like a chill indie song, and then it goes into a bit of thinking back Sunday screaming. Uh, sort of like a this is the one track that does feel like a generic emo song. My my note on this is this is the shitty ballad of the record, and it's not even a ballad. So that's my feeling on it. I don't hate it. It just feels more generic than like literally anything else on the record. Like, uh, I'm like, uh, this exists. I don't... The, 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 the verse are sort of bad. They're trying something different. Again, it feels like, like a shitty indie rock song, like a sort of chill. And it doesn't really work. And the chorus doesn't really work. And they shout a lot in it, and it's fine, but I don't super care about this song. It's probably my least favorite song of the record. It's in my bottom three. I think I would put a different track as worse than this, but it's not great. Uh, this is lyrical mess territory, where nothing links up lyrical with mess anything. Or really lyrical mess? Lyrical mess? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> is this secretly about Jesus? Uh, it's got a little bit of we're trying to talk about faith but failing. Okay. Like our podcast. Hey, I'll have you know that when I talk <laughs> about faith, I speak from my personal relationship with God. Sure. Why not? That's a joke for anyone who's known a certain type of Christian. I don't know. I, I don't know mind. what you're going on. Sorry. I'm not American. I don't I don't know the the kind of people that you know. That's a quote from Chris Pratt. <laughs> I'm not part of that church. I just have a personal relationship with God. What's the next song? What's the next song? Lipstick tourniquets. the one that sounds like the Mars Volta. This is the one that sounds like sort of at the drive-in. It's, uh, it's good. That's fun. It's an interesting one. Uh, it has a video. It's nothing but tour for it, tour footage and red and like, black well, and just white to, and black. Just to, just to clarify, this sounds like a way toned down, way less proggy version of the Mars Volta and at the drive-in. If you, if you like this band, don't go into this expecting frantic prog, but there's definitely influences that you can hear in the melodies and the structure. It's of course not, you know, you, you know what I mean. It feels like this is an emo band to listen to this band, not that it's a prog band that's trying to, you know what I mean. You know what yes. I mean. You know what I mean. Uh, I, I described it as feeling a bit gothier up until it goes barbershop quartet to round itself out. Yeah, uh, yeah. sort of. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by barbershop quartet, but the... the that diverse where it's like very rhythmic and very like dark and like sort of like malignant and like mysterious it's like 
I get, I get it. I get it. I love that verse. That's a really good verse of the song, just just musically. The reason I say Barbershop Quartet is it goes in that darker, gothier feel. You mentioned a Mars Volta style thing. But then there's just that break near the end of the track where the vocalist is singing and in the background all of the band are just going oh oh yeah they do oh. a, they do a queen chorus yeah they do uh the women rhapsody chorus at the end of this because why not barbershop quartet out of nowhere and they don't do it anywhere else on the record yeah it's like why not why not have a bit uh, uh bohemian rhapsody bit on this song why not because Bohemian Rhapsody is trash. Oh, I disagree. It's a beloved cultural artifact. I don't give a shit if it's a beloved cultural artifact. It's a song I never want to hear again in my life. You're, you're really, you're a really boring person, Sybil. And this is coming from literally the most boring person on earth. Well, like, has... how can't you, how can't you not love Bohemian Rhapsody? Like you don't have to listen in your free time, but if it comes up, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. If it comes up, I'm changing the channel. It has been played past the point of death. It has been played to ironic undeath and then beaten into a second pulp and then fed to you as a slurry. Terrible. I I managed to find the one person in the universe that's more of a bummer than me as a co-host. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm horrible, but at least I enjoy Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Look, I'm not saying <laughs> never listen to Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm saying there is nothing left of it after it has been pieced apart and abused and tormented and just trashed forever. Nowadays, if you want to hear it, you get to hear it with Adam Lambert singing the fucking Freddie Mercury part, and the song is entirely different, and it's not good. Okay, but I'm not listening to that version of it. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's I... what the corpse has been dug up and turned into. Yes, but you can always listen to the original. Which is just bland. Live a Live having a really weird-looking remix doesn't mean that you can't play the original Live a Live and enjoy it with its Beautiful pixel art. Here's the thing. Both versions of Live a Live are great games. Neither version of Bohemian Rhapsody is something I want to sit down for 12 minutes and listen to. Well, in the in the wise words of our missing co-host, that sounds like a you problem. I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. <laughs> uh... Ambulance Chaser. This is one another very Radiohead song. I think if this is a Smashing Pumpkins B-side. That's interesting. Yeah, I could see that. I feel there are Radiohead elements, but also like, God, I love this jungly guitar. Like you say, Smashing Pumpkins, I also think of like, again, a, a more, a less depressed Red House Painters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With this like jungly guitar on the, on the background. Um... No, this is nothing special, but 
solid. It's a solid sort of like slow kind of song. Atmospheric. I don't remember. Does it ever get hard? Does it ever get into the screaming bit? Because it I remember doesn't... I really I really remember the the chillness of this one. The lyrics on this feel like they're trying to write tongue twisters for themselves. And so they have to be read out slowly. <laughs> it is a very slow song. But it's not long. It's like four minutes, isn't it? Uh, 320. Yeah. In fiscal flight from the ravenous cavernous orifice asphyxiated form. Washed in wolf's blood sterile and pantomime. Parting in parts the trial of the worm. So, it, is one, it is one of the things that has, it doesn't particularly have any meaning, and it's more like about the sound of the words, which I can appreciate. Yeah. Um, it's fun. I think this is a solid little track. I think this last, the last three tracks are sort of like, I don't have much to say. We, we go into a, a series of three tracks to cover this. There are not highlights, but they're not bad. They're fine. They're fun. They're fun. They're fun. They're okay. Mm-hmm. They're good. They're all right. Uh, I really dislike the next one. Poor Vita. Apparently, a song that reading some interviews, the few that have survived, the singer keeps forgetting the song of this, the lyrics of the song live, because it's one of the first songs that they've written. Okay, this has been on no less than three different releases, though. This is their non toxic. I know too much about fucking SR71. Like, I complain about knowing too much about Lit, but a little Lit is an interesting band. Thanks to this podcast, I know way too much about SR71. <laughs> I was very curious if you were going to respond to that with, what's that song again? Or just instantly... No, I remember we're... the song. Mm-hmm. Toxic, ordinary day. It's ordinary. <laughs> Why do you hate the song, Seba? Oh, uh, this sounds like, what if a sea shanty was edgy and dark? It's a spoken word track delivered like shit. It's weird because, um, like, generally when you do the whole screamo thing, and I guess it's because, I don't know, I, nowadays I encounter screamo kind of singing more when, you know, when listening to very hard music, like to very emo violence and shit like this, like, or like sort of like experimental, like really short, really hard music. I'm not used to listening to the screamo vocals on this chill guitar. Like, the guitar is not, you know, it's not melodic, but it's it's not going super hard. It's like doing a standard rock riff here. And then you have this big screamo vocals, and they feel like sort of like at odds, but it works in the tone of the song. It's a weird tone. I won't give you that. I don't know if I would like it in isolation from this record. Like this record, like a lot, most of the songs on this record give me a lot of goodwill for the things that I like less from this record. If that makes sense, I can see that. 
It's like it's difficult to it's difficult to hate this song because a lot of other songs on this record are really good, and this is not bad enough for me to hate it. And it's like, yeah, I'll accept that. It's acceptable. No, this album ends on a wet fart, but nothing that's like tank the whole ship. You've sunk it like the Titanic. Bad. Uh, the next one hits one of my personal pet peeves, but that's a different thing. Okay, let's go to the ending. Let's go to the final song. P.S. Love the Black. Also, as a result of this, literally every track on this is from prior EPs and LPs. Not a mm-hmm. single original one. Cool. Yeah, there wasn't a yeah. one that just was credited to this album. I mean, if you've wrote a bunch of songs that you like, why should you write a new shit? It's just kind of a music. I don't think I've ever seen that happen where there wasn't at least one new bit. This is all just their earlier stuff, so... Definitely makes me curious about what those next albums, the concept albums, look like when they're a whole coherent structure from the ground up rather than we picked and chose our greatest hits so far. Yeah, this song definitely opens with the Pablo Honey riff. <laughs> that's just Pablo. That's just like a random song from like either the bands or Pablo Honey. <laughs> so uh, this is the longest track on the album by a few minutes. And it feels to me like a bunch of demos glued together, which I think I've said is one of my pet peeves in a track. I love that when a song sounds like a bunch of demos taped together. Really? Because it just starts shifting randomly every couple of minutes. I like that. That's fun. Um, I know that if someone will pull up some exception to this rule, where it's like, okay, yeah, I have to admit there's one, but... As a general rule, that's the kind of thing that really gets under my skin. It's why I hate Band on the Run by Wings. It's why I hate... I think it's Paradise by the Dashboard. Like, There's one Meatloaf song that does this. Anything where it's just suddenly, I'm in the mood, I'm in the mood, I'm in the mood. Hard cut to something entirely different as part of the same track. Yeah, I, I like that shit. And if you do that two or three times, no, that... That pisses me because I will always find myself getting really into one part of it, and then it just suddenly stops, and we're doing the polar opposite, and it's never. It's the difference between a suite and just feeling like you picked up random reels off the floor and attached them together. Okay, but that rules. Like picking random reels off the floor and gluing them together, sort of rules. Uh, give me some transitional glue. Some trans glue? Yep. Is that where, where we come? Our... I'm not going to make that joke. How <laughs> uh, are we done? I, I think we are. This This is just a very sludgy end to this record. 
final task then? <laughs> I think I am going to say again a three star, three out of five, a three point five out of five album. It doesn't really hit many highs, but the worst I can say about it is these are my pet peeves. This is a bit of an underwhelming end. And all of it is so good. All of it is good enough that I want to hear more and think we should absolutely revisit what this band does in future. As I said, this is a four stars in my heart and 3.5 stars on my return music. This is, an, this is excellent. It's very different and it's like smart. And even if the lyrics are very, we're still 20 year old, they're like well written. And there's a lot of effort put into this, and there's a lot of, like, taking from things that you generally don't take from in this genre. And I really like it. It sounds like a cool 90s record. It sounds like it takes influences from, like, Captain Jazz, Sunny Day Real Estate, American Football, Radiohead, At The Drive-In, Counting Crows. There's, like, just a lot of shit that they take from, and they manage to make it into a somehow coherent sound. The production is excellent. God, Jerry Finn makes those guitars like in a godly way. The guitars sound awesome throughout the record. God, there's a lot of ideas. Are there tons of great songs? No. I love two songs on this record, which are The Opener and uh, Seconds Away. Everything else is like, not great, but it tries a lot of different things and it has a lot of like passion and uh, creativity put into it. So you, you gotta love it. You gotta you gotta be like, yeah, these dudes are solid, solid shit. I I I haven't delved truly in their following records, but yeah, same. I'm interested in seeing where this dude go. And this is a solid record. And and at least again, two of the songs from this record I will listen to again. The, re the record as a whole, I probably will listen to again. Good shit. Good shit. Good shit. Not great shit. Like, there, there is still a problem that a lot of the songwriting is not the best it could be. But I don't care. Because there's the, it's, co it's a cool, interesting. It's cool and good and interesting. And so different from everything else in their scene at the time. So, yeah. Cool. Cool shit. Cool shit. Cool shit. Good shit. It stands out enough that I don't really have any god this drags moment because even at the parts that i'm bagging on it's still putting me into all right you know what you tried you swung for something you didn't hit it or you went for something that's so out of my lane but it's a solid alt rock album to talk to us about what happened to Vendetta Red after this record since uh, we will never see them again in an official episode, only in bonus episodes. Okay. So, after an alright success of Between the Now and Never, the, band, the record did hit uh, 101 on the top 200, which, hey, not bad, also hit number one on some of the Heatmaker rankings. 
The band enters the studio in 2004 with Howard Benson on production to record the follow-up. For the album, Childress switched to keyboards, and Burke Thomas was added to the group to record drums. The drummer from Street Drum Corps, well, I suppose that's where you would recruit one of those, Bobby Alt, contributed theremin to the album? Well, what? Okay, I'm sorry. Let me just retake that sentence. The drummer from Street Drum Corps contributed theremin. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Uh, and Phil Perone contributed backing vocals, but nobody had the giant gong from that one Jimmy Eat Family. What they produce as a result of this is Sisters of the Red Death, a concept album about a woman named Gloria who organizes an army of women to take over the world. It contains a track named The Great Castration, so yeah, you know, it turns out you've got both of our ears perking up suddenly. Like me too, dude. I just need to wait for the fucking judge ruling on this. <laughs> the record sounds, uh, both of us have listened to a few tracks off it. I, did you do the whole one? I, I listened to like half of it. Got it. Yeah, I didn't do the full thing, but Me it has a lot more of a rock sound and is a more coherent work than Now and the Never, and is generally a good listen. Less experimental, but still excellent guitar work, still good tunes, and the singing has picked up in quality, which is really all you need in an album to carry a lot of things. It's very dramatic. It's very The Deer Hunter. It's very like they're making a rock opera. Mm-hmm. Late in 2004, Chapman and Childress leave the group, and guitarist Leif Anderson of Common Heroes and Pris joins the band on lead guitar and keyboards. In late 2005, Vermillion leaves the band, and bass guitarist Jeff Roos of Alien Crime Syndicate and Loaded is added to the group. Both cite tour exhaustion as a reason and leave on general good terms with the band, so no drama comes up in our research. Mm-hmm. Sisters of Red Death does not do as well as Between the Now and Never, but still charts at number 21 on Heat Seekers. It is unclear in any research if they were dropped from Epic after this, or simply split up and voided their contract, but by 2006, Vendetta Red was no longer a band. Quote here, A few good things happened to us. A lot of bad things happened to us. A lot of people wanted to kill us. Okay, dude, I don't know about that. We were always outsiders, we were always alone, and after a seven-year legacy of struggle and torment, we now have to posthumously defend the ghost of a band that meant everything to me. Regardless, we always told the truth, even if it meant alienating ourselves from everyone, and I continue to do so. If you would like to know more, write me at, wow, this is a throwback, myspace.com slash sirensister, which I will mention momentarily as a successor band, and I will try to answer any questions you might have. I don't have any idea who runs the Vendetta Red website. Thanks, friends. This dude, this dude, I, I think this dude just went up in my From Alkaline Trio to AFI scale of self-seriousness after reading this. They just went slightly up on that scale, slightly to more towards AFI. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I find it very hard to tell how much of this is joking or not. It's yeah. a little... Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a lot. It's extra. It's very extra. <laughs> Uh, Vendetta Red would play their final show at El Corazon in Seattle, Washington, on April 8, 2006, ending their set and their careers with a joyless euphoria. Following the breakup, Davidson, Anderson, and Roos form Sirens a Sister, Sirens plural, Sister Singular, in 2006, along with the drummer Ben Leiby. 
Uh, this is not to be confused with what is apparently the top Spotify result for Siren Sisters, which is a magical mermaid podcast starring Ash and Audrey, two mermaid enthusiasts whose credentials are playing mermaid in the pool as kids and watching every single Barbie mermaid movie that exists. Dive down deep with the duo as they recap, review, and gush over mermaid movies, shows, books, and more. They are on their fourth episode, and good luck in your future underwater endeavors. Uh, I haven't listened much of Siren Sisters, the, the band. <laughs> I did listen to an episode of the podcast, because why not? Um, but I haven't listened much of the band, so I'll let you know in future episodes if they are uh, in any way interesting. I pulled up a video they had, and I immediately knew without having to be told that, oh yes, you moved to California sometime during this, based on all of the footage <laughs> that you shot for this. Well, everyone does that. Uh, of the other members of the band, Vermilion enjoyed a solo career, now playing his own folk and root songs, as well as a variety of covers. Kronk, who I will still never not think is a joke you made up. It's a great name. Kronk plays drums for With Friends Like These. Hatman has been enjoying life away from the music industry as a bartender at a Seattle establishment. In 2010, the band joins up for a reunion show, and by 2017, despite everyone now seeming to have day jobs outside of the industry, signs with Cleopatra Records for one more record, Quinceañera, released in 2018. They will not tour much for it, given that, again, they're all doing regular day job work, and both Sisters of the Red Death and this album are very solid records, which we have mentioned we may cover as bonus episodes, even though they did not chart. They are just fun to listen to and talk about. Mm -hmm. Their social medias have not been updated since 2018. Their website still looks like a 2008 MySpace page. So at this point, it does seem there are no further plans to make another Vendetta Red album, ending the tale of the band for now. And we're done. Lovely shit. Um, good shit. Good shit. That's a good band. Well, this is a fun surprise. This is the kind of thing that we love to occasionally get while we're working on this show, where it's like, don't know who that is. Oh, wow. They're good. Turns out, they're good. Turns out, if they maybe had a bit more success, maybe a bit more marketing or whatever, they would have done some good shit. They, they still did some good shit, but this is one of those bands where it's like, oh, I wonder what it would have been like if you made it to the mainstream. You were almost there. You were on Epic. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Heck, they were mainstream. They had a number one single for one week. They, yeah, they had one good single. Um, yeah, I think that's it. What are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to go back into more well-trod territory because we have Maybe Memories by The Used. Same song, different chorus. So, this was an episode. You can find us at getoutofthistown.com, which is our website where you can find all of our stuff. And you can add us on Twitter at GGOOTT Podcast. GGOOTT Podcast on the Twitter. That's fun. Do you, do you, does anyone want to come on as a guest? Tell us. Just tweet at us if you want to come as a guest. We want guests. We want people to shake up things. So. You're free to come. But, You're free but to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, I was going to, to say, come. maybe you should... Yeah, maybe you should <laughs> rephrase that one. All right. 
I'm not restricting your ability to come, either if you want to come on our podcast or not. <laughs> I will if you would like me to. That is a side job of mine. Yeah, uh, I mean, they need to pay you. Eh, the first one's free. <laughs> I thought that, that I thought that was what our future Patreon was for. There you go. <laughs> if you want more erotic ASMR from the cast of Gotta Get Out of This Town, feel free to support our upcoming Patreon. From one specific guest to cast to gotta get out of this town. I am not. I, I barely can talk coherently when I'm talking loudly. I guarantee Adam would at least give it one try. Oh, Adam would give it one try. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hi, Adam. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Adam listens all of the episodes he's not in. So. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything to plug, Sybil? You can find all of my myriad projects linked off of hellscaper.com personal website and we do and you can as always find me on twitter at acc the moon we do we, we do not have a patreon but we had to cut this joke because of uh, various reasons of the internet we had a really i had a really good i had a really good bit at the end of this but i just cut this so if you want you can send us your uh we do not have a patreon bits at ggoott podcast on twitter feel free to send us your bits <laughs> wait We'll Wait. credit you. <laughs> Wait. Uh-huh. Goodbye. See ya. Like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my friendly bike a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's funny, though. I'm, I'm doing a bit. Okay. Why does why does everyone ever every why does everyone always send bags my bits? <clears throat> no, no, not saying that. <laughs> what 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 were you going to say, Sybil? I was going to make a joke about my nuts. <laughs> the fuck off! <laughs> so that's why I didn't.